Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. I think schools will need teachers that are master teachers, that are, that are rocks, that are pillars in a system. But if what you spin around them are satellites of passionate people uh, who, who, want to, who want to work with young people, but don't want to commit their entire life to it, I think you could get somewhere. So year-round school and uh, transitionary teachers, to me, are two things that could, could flip this. But those things require, culturally, us to shift what we think about education. Welcome to Education on the Rocks. I'm your host, John Bullock, and I'm joined, as always, by my friend and co-host, George Haggerty. George, it's been a minute. How are you? Oh, I am good, and it has been a minute. It's been about 10,000 meetings, um, but yeah, it is, it's been a bit. I'm doing all right. It's, it's good to sit and chat with you uh, tonight on a real Education on the Rocks evening. Is it? We are actually recording in the evening. I know. I will tell you, I had a listener comment that he was a bit concerned that we were recording with whiskey really early in the morning. Yeah, I know. Most people prefer us to record with vodka if we're recording that early in the morning. Yeah. So no, it's a good. It is. It's a. It's an evening. It's a. It's a good evening for whiskey. But but uh, we should tell folks we have just been uh, unbearably busy, right? You you got a lot going on. Uh, things happening for you down in California, and I'm. Uh, busy trying to keep uh, some things operating up here in Oregon. And so we just haven't been able to put the time together yet. Yeah, we've talked about it. And I wonder how much, how much our audience is feeling the same thing is that, you know, after two plus years of pandemic life, that it seems that people are taking advantage in, in great ways, but of getting back together in person, uh, that really is a drain on I just don't remember ever having met so much in my life, but I think it could have just been, you know, I've kind of, uh, I've kind of erased, erased the first 45 years of my existence or something. Yeah. It is kind of the year of the meeting for me. Uh, you know, people have spent so much time online, you know, meeting via zoom and I still take advantage of that because I live in somewhat of a rural part of the state. So when I have meetings elsewhere, I can zoom in now and it's acceptable, but uh, just in the day-to-day work, people want to get together and sit down and, and talk. And again, don't think it's a bad thing, but it certainly, it feels more exhausting than it ever did before. Yeah. I think we're just becoming, you and I are becoming antisocial. So the, that I think is, we need to find our cave and go write our own epic poem. <laughs> Those are facts. Two things that we're becoming older and antisocial. I think uh, our, our partners would agree with both those things. Exactly. <laughs> for, for sure. <laughs> uh, well, hey, it is Education on the Rocks, and uh, we appreciate everybody joining us. This is a, uh, a podcast where George and I get together, and we drink some whiskey, and we talk about educational issues. So, uh, George, what are you drinking tonight? 
I'm drinking a Redemption Rye, um, and if I were to be honest, it's a double old fashioned for sure tonight. So yeah, that's that's what I'm tucking into. It's uh, quite good. I've I've got the expensive cherries, and so I don't even add any sugar to it, other than a little bit of that cherry juice, and it's uh, with bitters, and it's pretty great. What about you? What do you have going on? Wow, I am just going with uh, some Whistle Pig, uh, the twelve uh, year old world rye. It's a uh, I like it. It's a, it's an interesting um, concoction because they take um, they take basically take about a ninety five percent Canadian rye and then they split it into three different uh, wine casks, not evenly, but but uh, you know different different percentages in wine casks, and that's how they finish it. And so it's got an interestingly uh, interestingly flavorful wine finish. Um, uh, it, it even kind of a m- bit more of a scotch than a typical rye, but, oh. but a sweeter thing. So, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a, I think it's rather complex and I enjoy it. So, uh, that's what I got going on. Nice. I'll buy that. Sounds good. Yeah. It's a, it's a good bottle. And, and uh, folks, listen, if you're listening and you like whiskey or you've got a favorite bottle, or maybe you're a distributor of spirits, hit us up. We'll taste your whiskey and we'll tell the world about it on education on the rocks. So, uh, feel free to find us. All right. And with that, uh, we're going to encourage everybody to take a pause and take a sip. And uh, we'll be right back with uh, today's episode, which is entitled, Where's Everyone Going? On August 6, 1991, the first website was created on the World Wide Web. Now in 2022 and heading into 2023, there are literally billions of websites online. And here's what's amazing. About 55% of small businesses, they don't even have a website. Well, at Mooney Marketing, they will lift your business to the next level by designing your business an affordable, mobile-friendly website with professional business photography, video production, SEO, design concepts, and color schemes. And if you want to see what it looks like, go to educationontherocks.com because we have Mooney Marketing to thank for our website. Now, as we venture into the next stage of the pandemic or whatever is next, customers and consumers are still going to be searching online for products and companies. In fact, they'll do that now more than ever. So join this Redmond-based marketing firm that also offers logo design, advertising, branding, storytelling, and social media marketing services, and let them help you help your business. For more information on Mooney Marketing, check out their website at mooney-marketing.com or give them a call at 541-280-7412 and tell them you heard about us on Education on the Rocks. Welcome back to Education on the Rocks. This is the Where's Everyone Going edition of our show. On past episodes, George and I have talked about how happy most people are with their schools on the local level. Students and parents love their teachers and feel like their schools are headed in the right direction. But that love tends to shift when they talk about the state of the public school system on a regional or national scale. Today, we're going to talk about the people at the center of that discussion, the classroom teacher. In August, PBS reported that upwards of 20% of all teaching vacancies in the United States for this academic year are due to educators leaving the profession entirely. While some may attribute this to the great resignation that's affecting the entire workforce, today we're going to try and understand why teachers in particular are leaving the classroom as we ask the question, where's everyone going? So George, you and I both uh, are out of the profession in terms of being all day classroom teachers. what can we attribute that to? <laughs> yeah, I, that's a softball first question. <laughs> Mine was my boss. Uh, yeah, <laughs> thank you. 
yeah, and yeah, the footnote to that is John was my boss for the last 15 years. Uh, but you know, the reality is, is, is I kind of feel like mine is actually twofold in that I had always had this desire to kind of work and have the ability to research in a way that just isn't a part of what uh, what constitutes a teaching job. And and so from that perspective is like, yes, I left teaching expressly because I wanted to try something different. Uh, but I also, and I, I met a guy this uh, about three weeks ago and he was a 35 year old, 35 year uh, English teacher. And what finally forced him to step away is the thing I think that would have would have done the same for me, too. It's just was the pile of papers and that, you know, when you're coming home, you know, three or four times a semester with 150 or 200 student papers, that that just is it's something that I I. I really had a hard time kind of fathoming that I was doing this. Oh, I'm doing this again. So, you know, my, mine is twofold, but part of it is, is that the grind of what, what we do is it asks a lot of us. What about you? Well, I think the load is certainly a part of that. But I think what's interesting and particularly about your journey and somewhat mine is that the education profession at the K-12 level in the public school system is what I like to think of as a flat organization, right? That the the teachers really don't have anywhere to move uh, up or down a scaffolding in teaching. You either teach or you don't teach. And so in your case, right, the idea of pursuing a PhD, or in my case, the desire to to pursue a doctoral degree, doesn't fit in the K-12 system. And there are other industries where people can move about. They can move from one company to another pretty seamlessly. They can get recruited to do the same job somewhere else uh, because someone will offer them uh, better money or, or a different schedule, uh, or they can move along into a different industry because they can take those translatable skills. And teaching is a flat profession. And that doesn't mean it's a negative, it's not a bad thing, but it's a reason why some people leave the profession is because you can, in fact, and this is what ultimately had me move along, was I taught in the same room and I could envision myself teaching the same classes in the same room for 35 years. And, and I could have done it. And I was like, I don't know that that's what I want to do. I loved teaching, but I also wanted to experience a variety of aspects of education. And I think that's a limiting factor of the teaching profession in K-12 education. Yeah, it is that I, I totally agree with you that the job is in the scope of professions, other professions, the job is very narrowly defined. And I think there are a lot of factors that go into that. But yeah, kind of walking into a space and realizing that I might walk out of, you know, I'm walking into this in my mid to late 20s, and I might walk out of this at 70 mm -hmm. is, is, is I think, especially when you compare your, when people are comparing themselves to their peers and other professions, that their lives are so dramatically different. You know, when people are shifting careers, you know, five and six times on average uh, from kind of first first professional experience to, um, to retirement. And I think that one of the things that happened in the pandemic is it was one of the first times, and maybe one of the only times in my career, where 
teaching was uh, experienced on the same uh, level or the same framework or same medium as other jobs, right? Because people were teaching from home, from their computer, from their bedroom, kitchen table. And people were selling from their bedroom, their kitchen table. People were managing from... So everybody was experiencing the workforce in the same or similar fashion, right? But education, when it came time to go back, went back to the way education has always been, right? It's hundreds, thousands of people in a space, divide the kids up by groups of 20 or 30 or 40, put an adult in front of them, and away we go. And other industries didn't necessarily go back to that, right? Yeah, you're right. That it, was, it has been, you know, other industries are still, I would say, in a slow transition back, you know, and th- there was no mouse jiggler for, for education. Right. <laughs> and, and, and I think what happens in that is that some educators, right, because we know we're talking about this great resignation and, and people leaving the profession. I think some educators saw that and said, wait a minute, I, I might like a different work schedule. I might like a different work environment. And one of the things we know about K-12 public schools is that if you take a day off, if you're a teacher and you take a day off in a school year, that is a much more significant impact than someone who is, you know, working on a sales force and takes a random day off in September or August, right? Because in teaching, the way the public school system is set up, it might be 180 days a year the kids have school, maybe 160, 170, depending on the district. And so when a, when a teacher misses a day, it has a significant impact. And I'm not saying other people's jobs, they don't have to be there. But what I'm saying is that you can catch up on work or you can pass work onto a colleague or something like that. But as a classroom teacher, you can't do that. You're, the job is being in front of the students in the classroom and seeing other professions have a flexibility it doesn't have, I think has, has worn on some people. Yeah, you're right. I mean, teaching is a job that, I mean, for a number of reasons, but you can't get ahead, you know, in anticipation because um, there, I can't, I mean, I, I can, I know some other jobs, of course, where like you have to have someone fill in for you if you're out, but a lot of professional jobs, like I, I've been talking with people who have unlimited PTO, you know, and so as long as they're doing their job, like they can take as much paid time off as they want. Right. And, and so when they hit a time where like, oh, I've been, I've been really working and crushing it for the last two months and I need a four day weekend, even though there's not a holiday in sight, that there's no, there are no repercussions for that. And even though like teaching does have you know, people have the opportunity to take personal days or, you know, you do have, of course, sick leave that that your job doesn't go away. And so like, I always was of the opinion that it's harder to have a substitute teacher than for me to kind of roll in, you know, half sick. And, right. And that isn't the case. You're so right with other professions. Yeah. And and it's also not necessarily work you can do outside the regular workday. Right. Like, I mean, we teachers do lots of work outside the regular workday. Please hear me clearly on that. But the core of the work, like working with the students, happens during a certain time and certain days and certain parts of the year. And so you can't have a flexible schedule that says, hey, I want to work, you know, four tens or I want to work, uh, you know, 
evenings or weekends, or I want, I mean, it's, and that's not to say the job's bad. I don't want anybody to get a sense of like, you know, poor mouthing the, the process. But what we're trying to describe is really what is a fundamental difference in the education profession to some other professions. And that has an impact, particularly when young teachers are comparing this work to the work that they see some of their peers doing. Right. And I think that's the vital point is that the job market has changed dramatically since you and I entered it in the mid nineties, um, in, in the United States period that work has changed and what constitutes work has changed. However, what constitutes work as a, as a classroom school teacher has not, I mean, it's shifted a little bit, I, I would argue, and I'll talk about that at length if you'd like me to, but, uh, it hasn't shifted to the degree that other in terms of flexibility, in terms of, you know, essentially like the butts in the seats uh, that used to be that used to be the norm for our society is that you are working, you know, essentially an eight to five with a one hour lunch. And that was everyone could kind of get on board with that and that there was a perk as a as a teacher to working 180 days a year and doing the seven to three or this, you know, the eight to four type of schedule. But as I think you're so right, is that, you know, especially if you're if you're new to the profession, you're looking around thinking like, oh, my gosh, you know, I am doing this. I am working my ass off from all the school day. And then I go home and I have prep work and I have, you know, papers to grade or tests to grade. And so I'm putting in another three or four hours that the the how that looks is very different than it would have 25 years ago. Right. I think that's exactly correct. And so before we get too deep into like why people are leaving, I think it's important to touch on why do people choose to teach in the first place? Like what, what, what brings people into the profession? Yeah. I mean, I have a totally romantic and I think I've, I've probably, I've probably given my monologue on this to you before in the past is that I think teaching is a vocational like you have to have a calling to do it. And, and when I've worked with student teachers in the past, and, and I come from a family that has, my great aunt um, graduated from Cal Berkeley in 1924. Um, and she was one of the first class of graduates from Cal, female graduates from Cal. And so she was a uh, elementary educator and then went on to be a principal in Concord, California, so in the East East San Francisco Bay Area. And so that was like ingrained in me as um, as a young person that, that, that it is a form of service. It's a form of kind of intellectual development for me and for helping young people think about who they are. And and so very much I had the luxury of, of course, being concerned with my paycheck, but you know, I was really drawn to the profession in a way that I, I, I wasn't trying to get rich off the job. Mm-hmm. And, and so I think that that is a sustainable way to uh, approach teaching. And what I feel now is that people are coming in for a lot of different reasons and kind of that notion of like, this is a vocation. Um, no one ever said that to me, except for, I think, a couple of mentors along the way. Uh, that this is the hardest job in the world, I think, if you don't have a calling to do it. I would agree. I think absolutely it's something that people have to feel drawn to do, 
right? That it's because it's it's too high touch and it's too emotional for it to be something that you're not drawn to, right? I mean, it's impossible to do the job well. It's impossible to enjoy the job because it is really about giving of yourself to young people who may or may not know what they need or how they need it or why they need it and continually striving to find ways to support their needs. And if you don't have a, a love for that or a calling for that, I, I do think it's a very hard job. And I think when I got into education as a teacher is because I loved working with adolescents. I mean, I just found it fascinating through work I did in college and, and coaching that I did. I'm like, it's a fascinating time for young people. So I was fascinated by it. And, and, I, and I loved to write. I was a journalist and I loved to write. And I thought, hey, maybe, maybe I can spread that love of writing mm-hmm. to, uh, to young people. And my teaching career, I have so many fond memories of teaching, of being in the classroom and connecting with kids and being somebody they could count on and being somebody that could motivate them. And uh, I, th- I think I, I loved all parts of that. At no point when I went into teaching did I think about what the salary was, what the benefits were, what the possible ladder was. I mean, none of those, like I went into it because this is going to be awesome. I'm going to get to spend, you know, all day uh, teaching kids to write and coaching kids on how to play soccer. I'm in. And today I've, uh, you know, in my hiring, I I run into people that like they have a, like a, a career path that they've built out, right? Like, well, here's what I want to do for this time. And here's what I want for this time. Here's what I need to get paid to do it. And I don't know if it's bad. I don't, I hope I don't, that doesn't come off as a negative, but it's a different experience. Um, because it, it's different because it wasn't mine. It doesn't mean like, like I'm saying, I don't think it's necessarily worse, but it's a different experience. Yeah. And that, and that I think is, I think that's more indicative of the rest of the culture and what people kind of, if you think about, you know, to some degree, we're all going to compare ourselves to, you know, our friends who we graduate with, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever that graduation is, you know, they are kind of thinking like, how am I doing compared to that person? And, and I think that that is, that is a challenge with education is that some of the kind of long-term benefits of kind of stable what is overwhelmingly compared to other job markets like a very stable job market has significant trade-offs in terms of like even though you and I talk about regularly you know trying to transform and revolutionize revolutionize education and part of that is like how we get knowledge to young students and how we kind of think about and compensate and reward people who are able to do that, that our system is not changing quickly. Like it, it has been relatively stable since the middle of the 20th century. So I'm going on a hundred years. And, and so I think it is, that is one of those things that people bump up against is that they kind of figure like, Oh, you know, I, I kind of feel like I was, more talented or more committed than this person. And they are, you know, working less and getting paid X times more that I think that while that doesn't, I don't, I actually don't think it's a comment on education at all, but I think it is very much an explanation for why people kind of think like, I'm going to give it a shot. Like I'm going to go work for 
whomever and give it a go for a while in a way that I was never comfortable doing because there wasn't really a clear, um, like I didn't see how my skills translated essentially outside of the classroom. Like I knew that's where I was good. And, and I think that that also like where you see where that wears on teachers is, is one of the things about our profession. And I know that the school that you're at is a little bit different, but one of the things that wears on, on people in the profession is that it doesn't matter to a certain degree or to a, to a degree outside of the classroom space whether or not you're better. Mm-hmm. And that for you and I are competitive people, like we've been involved in all sorts of, you know, whether it's competitive athletics or your, um, you know, the, uh, I, I want to say rotisserie leagues, but that's aging me. <laughs> um, that, that that is something that's tough, right? Where you're like, oh my gosh, like I have these connections with students, they're doing this, I know that I am doing this great work. And I also know that the person next to me is not connecting with students. And because they have been there 15 years longer than I am, they're like doubling my salary and not doing the work. That that's, that's one of the things that I, I think if I were 25 at this point, I'd be like, you know what? I can't do this. Like I can't wait to be compensated for my time as opposed to my talent. Right. Because the rest of the world is paying people for their talent. I, I think that's a radical shift that we've seen in the job market as a whole, right? That, that uh, companies are looking to acquire talent. They're looking to compensate talent. And they are willing to have uh, to sift through talent to get that, right? Uh, and in education, that's not true at all. I mean, it's the way to get uh, better compensation in education is to be there longer. Right? The, the longer you're in one place, the more you get paid in a typical district, regardless of quality. It's something we've probably said before, I've probably said before on the pod, is that what I know in the public school system is that the worst public high school in my state will still be open tomorrow and will still be open next September and will still be open the September after that. Right, And so... Uh, Compensation that is not linked to any sort of productivity, compensation that is only linked to longevity, fails to account for the variances in curriculum, the variances in connection, the variances in success. And I think in a job market that has moved past that, right, it's moved that the the job market as a whole has moved past the education job market, it's difficult to get people to see the value in it. And it's hard to say to people, well, do it because you love it. But even if you won't get compensated for that. Yes. Yeah. And, and like the pat on the back or and, and all of it. And, and I know that I'm sounding. I don't want to say I mean, I don't want to sound anything other than, you know, the fact is, is that there is no and, there, and I can't think of a model that can work, you know, where it is the 30 year person who has just been hanging on. Like we can't upend those salary schedules on, on like a massive level. And so when we start to think about that, we are going to, we will, because especially with, I think uh, nationwide where you have baby boomers are those who are still in the teaching profession, there's going to be a mass, mass retirement and who, or, 
you know, who is going to fill those positions. And I don't necessarily see that those jobs are going to be filled at, you know, the rate that they, that they have been in the past. And, and regardless of how desirable a place is to live or to teach, um, that I think, that I think equally, especially in kind of, um, centralized or, you know, suburban, suburban, um, areas in this country or urban areas in this country, it's, it's almost untenable to kind of live in the area you teach. Mm-hmm. And that's really tough. Like even my first job where, uh, and this was a long time ago that I couldn't afford to live within 15 miles of the school that I taught. And that I think is only going to be exacerbated going forward. And, and, and I don't see like a really clear cut solution of like, Oh, okay. You know, the, the housing market, the, the rent for a one bedroom place in this area is 1500 bucks a month or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. But then your opening salary is you're pulling in 2,600 a month. That's untenable for most people. Right. Yeah. I, th- I think that, that that compensation piece is, is huge and the ability to be connected to the community is huge. And so I wasn't intending to today to talk about these two ways. I think you could, we could re we could revolutionize the way in which we, we approach employing teachers, but we got a couple minutes left and I'll drop it on people and then get people's thoughts. But to me, there are two significant changes that could occur that might give us a way to alter this. The first of those is going to a true year round school model where we don't necessarily need someone to only teach from a certain time of year to another time of year, but rather if schools become uh, like a mall in a sense, right? They're open all the time. You could create schedules for people that make sense within people's lifestyles, right? That they give people options, right? Maybe there's some evening classes. Maybe there's some, maybe there's some people, students and staff that don't go to school in December. Maybe there's, I mean, it's, I'll admit readily, it's not very well fleshed out in my mind, but conceptually I've often thought about what if we stopped making it so that every day was so critically important, right? That every single day out of that 160 or 170 days was so important. What if there was a way to stretch it over 365 days? And you could, in fact, at that point, you know, if if you have teachers that are working 25% more time, they could get paid for that time. You have teachers that are only going to work half of that time. They're still going to, they're going to get paid on that, but it's going to be in a schedule that makes more sense, right? And then the second way I think is, can we stop thinking about teaching being a lifelong profession for everybody, right? Can, can, can it be something that people skip in and out of where somebody, maybe they, they finish their undergrad and they're like, Hey, I want to try this teaching. They do it for two or three years and then away they go. And somebody comes in mid career, two or three years and away they go. And, And we stop worrying about longevity and we start rather worrying about passion and productivity. That doesn't mean that that should be every teacher. I think schools will need teachers that are master teachers, that are, that are rocks, that are pillars in a system. But if what you spin around them are satellites of passionate people uh, who, who, want to, who want to work with young people, but don't want to commit their entire life to it, I think you could get somewhere. So year-round school and uh, transitionary teachers, to me, are two things that could, could flip this. But 
those things require culturally us to shift what we think about education. Yeah. And I, and I even think by year round, if we were in, if school, if schools kind of could kind of normalize a 40 week school year mm-hmm. and not even all the students need to be there right. all 40 weeks. And, and that the, the reality is it, uh, that that kind of emulates our, our normal, our kind of contemporary existence beyond the school that, that, that I think that that is a radical shift, but I don't think it would be that hard to actualize in terms of people getting used to it and different, different teachers being more available at different times of year, that that is kind of the model that I'm in now is that you don't have, you don't have faculty teaching every term on campus. Mm -hmm. And so that's just how it goes. And so it is like, I think it goes to, I mean, all the things that we have, that we've lamented over the uh, years of this podcast of like credits and grades and how all those things function. Like, yes, we would have to re-envision them, but I don't, but I don't even think it's that challenging because the models are out there. It Mm -hmm. just is kind of replicating them particularly at the six to 12 um, level. I think that K-5 is, is, going, is, is its own kind of species to a certain degree. Right. Uh, but I do think that having that kind of flexibility and like you said, is that it's okay to, be, to just come in and be great for five years. Mm-hmm. Who cares? That's, that's amazing and because the connections are what matter. And it isn't the fact that you can go in and say, this is year 36, and the students all of a sudden are like, oh, I love this person. Right. Because they've been here for 36 years. Right. And that is how the system treats it, right? That, yeah. And, and so I think you're so right with that. that I mean, I, I would love to tease this out more as we start to chat. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, I, I mean, I'm, I'm imagining in my head a scenario where, uh, you know, there are, uh, you know, corporations in a community that, that give – uh, that contribute to school by giving a, a, a subject matter expert for uh, two hours a day for six weeks or something like that, or, or, or 18 weeks, right? Like they come in and teach a class or two classes or a half time, and then they go back to their regular job, right? So it doesn't have to be like a full-time committed profession. Uh, and, and we get more people engaged in the system uh, I think there's a lot there. So hopefully those of you listening uh, think there might be something there too. So if you if you got some thoughts about that, we'd love to hear them. You can find me on Twitter at Speaks. George, where can they find you? George underscore Hegarty. Hey, we appreciate Slash you. Elon Musk. What's that? Slash Elon Musk. Yeah. <laughs> Look for me on the <laughs> Elon Musk uh, website. Oh my goodness. I don't... That's a whole different podcast. What's going on there? My that's goodness. after after the ice melts. That's after. Yeah, I mean, I, there are not enough blue check marks. Is what I'm saying. <laughs> All right, hey folks, if you've enjoyed this episode, and we hope you have, please uh, follow us online uh, on our Twitter handles. Uh, look us up on Education on the Rocks, and most importantly, leave us a review and uh, share us with your family and friends. We appreciate you listening today. We're going to take a pause, take a sip, and we'll be right back with the part of the episode we like to call After the Ice Melt. Welcome back to After the Ice Melts. This is the part of the show where 
We uh, have finished our whiskey and we've talked about the education issues of the day, and now it's time to figure out what we're going to do next. So George, what are you going to do after the ice melts? I've got a couple things on the agenda. One is, uh, I don't know if you've seen it yet, but The Peripheral, the it's a new show that's out that's based on uh, a William Gibson novel who William Gibson's a it's a he's a cyberpunk writer that I really like and it is very very cool it's kind of an expansion of um kind of the the uh, ready player one haptic suit environment into kind of a next gen very sleek um, very sleek television show. And I think it's got, it's about four episodes in right now and I've watched two. So I'm going to watch at least one more tonight. And then the other thing is because I, I'm making a move that I'll be building a little bit of Ikea furniture, which takes me back to when I was 20 and <laughs> 25 and 30 and 35 and 40. It seems like I thought at one point I would be like beyond building Ikea furniture, but that's what I'm doing tonight. You got to love it. Yeah. And I'm excited for your new place, man. I got to come down and visit that. Yeah. I think that, uh, yeah, I'm making, uh, for the audience, I'm making the move to Berkeley. I'm actually for the first time uh, recording the pod here and uh, it's it's a, almost, it's a homecoming for me. So I'm really, really happy. Yeah, I'm stoked for you because I want to come down to Berkeley and who knows, maybe we'll make uh, somewhere in Berkeley the home of Education on the Rocks and I'll just uh, hang out at a coffee shop and, you know, talk about all my crazy thoughts about this business. I think we, I think we've got a future down here. <laughs> as long as we can talk about the Grateful Dead in like 1984, I think we'd, we'd be good to go. We're yeah. Golden. Oh my gosh. How about you? <laughs> well, funny, funny. Uh, so this isn't my after the ice melts, but uh, today at school, uh, one of our teachers is teaching a, a lesson about, um, it's a history lesson and they were using uh a study of uh, journalists that covered metal, heavy metal, the you know when it came out, and so they were looking at a at a Black Sabbath documentary, <laughs> and Black Sabbath's first show was in the seventies, right? And I, and uh, teachers like, hey, did you see Black Sabbath in the seventies? I'm like, come on, man! Like, <laughs> I mean, I did go to a Black Sabbath show in the eighties in Sacramento, but like, uh, you know, seventies, come on, man! I mean, Arco Arena, yeah, baby. So anyway, here's what I got. Um, so first of all, the Port and Thorns won the NWSL championship, uh, recently, and that was, uh, phenomenal. It was a great run, super proud of them. They overcame a lot of adversity in so many ways, and it was awesome to watch. So I've been immersed in soccer. So after the ice melts for me is I'm working on, uh, and you'll appreciate this because in 2018, you participated in our fantasy draft of world cup teams. Yes. And so I'm rewriting the algorithm to calculate the points so that uh, we can uh, have an eight-person draft of uh, World Cup teams for the World Cup when it starts. And so I'm working on the uh, scoring formula and uh, got an Excel spreadsheet going right now. Sweet. Yeah. I've got every game on my calendar and I've identified, uh, you know, the games in our area are two o'clock in the morning, five o'clock in the morning, eight o'clock in the morning, 11 o'clock in the morning. And so... I intend to watch all of them, although there's two 2 a.m. games where I'm like, mm, maybe I'll sleep in that day till 4. Uh, I was going to say, are you just going to be nocturnal? I'm thinking about going on the flip schedule. I mean, <laughs> I'm thinking about it, like maybe going to bed at like 4 o'clock in the afternoon or, or 6 o'clock in the evening and getting up for the 2 o'clock. I, I don't know how it's going to go. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm excited to test the body. Uh, and Speak, see what will happen. Speaking of, part, speaking of partners and their uh, happiness with us. 
<laughs> I'm going to cash in at about four today. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Good news is the first uh, the first round of games, I'm on break. So uh, I don't have to worry about the work schedule. Sweet. Yeah. So, hey, folks, thanks for joining us today. We love it as always when you listen in. And uh, we're sorry it took so long for us to get another run out, but uh, we'll – We'll get back on the on the horse here, uh, but in the meantime, please uh, follow us on Twitter. Uh, um, share our, our our podcast with your friends and family, and leave us a review on your favorite podcast site. And uh, we'll be back soon with more education on the rocks. Thank you for listening to Education on the Rocks. You can connect with us on Twitter. George is at George underscore Hegarty, and I am at Jay Bullock Speaks. If you enjoyed our podcast, please tell your friends. And please give us a rating on iTunes and leave a comment. Until then, look for us next week as we continue to discuss education on the rocks.